Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. I am your host, Adam Homey, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches, mentors, and consultants. We have the folks who help others create and grow their businesses. And on the other side of the coin, we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers as you market and grow. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated. helps us help more business creators just like you. Be sure to subscribe as fresh content is added every Tuesday. Over 190 episodes await you right now on a variety of topics that serve business creators. Now, today, we are going to have a very fun topic. And, you know, we talk about pitching. We talk about closing sales, increasing our sales conversions, increasing our website conversions, using scripts, using persuasion, influence, the power of words. And these are things that I spend a lot of time on and things that I help my clients with as well, particularly when it comes to editing their copy to make it more persuasive, the email copywriting, and helping them with their customer service teams to increase their ability to relate to their customers, which leads to upsells longer customer relationships, and more revenue. So it goes without saying that I leaped at the opportunity to have this gentleman on today. His name is John Livesey, and he is going to share with us how to ask for what you want and get a yes. Let me just say a little bit about John. He's known as the pitch whisperer. John Livesey helps people craft a compelling pitch that tugs at the heartstrings so people open their purse strings. I love that. He hosts the Successful Pitch Podcast, and he is the author of the, excuse me, the Successful Pitch, Conversations on Going from Invisible to Investable. Sorry about that. Sometimes when I have three S's in a row in a word, I trip over my tongue a little bit. John had an award-winning 20-year career in media sales with Condé Nast and is the mentor at DreamFunded.com. You may have seen John on Forbes, Inc., as well as on CBS, Fox, and ABC as an expert on how to ask for what you want and get a yes. John, welcome aboard. Thanks, Adam. I'm glad to be here. Okay, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to advise our listeners, and this is one of the joys of being a business creator. Unfortunately, I'm not able to conduct this episode from my studio in my office today. I uh, kind of got pulled away on an emergency and um, I'm actually down the street from something. I'm sitting in a cigar shop right now. The lounge in the back is empty, so I have it all to myself. Uh, this is one of the joys of having the laptop lifestyle. You can do an interview from anywhere. Uh, John assures me and my other tester assures me that we're getting a nice, clear signal, so we're going to roll with it. Um, I'm in an empty lounge right now. If people start fouling in, I foul out to my car. So we may hear a little bit of noise in the background at some point, probably not, but who knows. But remember, just uh, recently we conducted an interview with a guy who was sitting on his rooftop looking out at the ocean and an airplane flew over. So one of the beauties <laughs> of Business Creators Radio Show is, I don't want to say we just wing it, but we do it for real. Uh, we don't worry about some of the fine point details. We're all about getting you 
the information you need as business creators to win at the game of business and marketing. So, John, I've read off your beautiful synopsis, but if you could just do me a favor, for those of our listeners who are right now getting a chance to know you, tell us a little bit about your own personal journey and the events that led you to where you are today serving business creators at the intersection of your brilliance and passion. <laughs> sure, Adam. Well, I know if I hear you start coughing that that means there's cigar smoke around you, correct? <laughs> and you'll yes. have to leave. Yes. <clears throat> well, as you mentioned, I was at Condé Nast for a number of years and was fortunate enough to win Salesperson of the Year while I was there in my career. And one of my goals when I was in charge of the corporate division here in Los Angeles, packaging brands like Lexus and Guess across print and digital and video, was to find startups that Condé Nast could use to help monetize their brands. The big problem Condé Nast was having was people weren't clicking on a static banner ad on their websites. So I found a startup called Hallstars, H-A-U-L, which is a shoppable video player. And I had the guy come in, who was the founder, and pitch it, and he confused people with how it worked, and the pricing was all over the place, and the people at Connie Nass said, we're not taking that out into the field. And I said, let me work with him on his pitch. And so I said, here's the problem we're solving. No one's clicking on a static banner ad. We solved that by creating a, sh a video of a fashion blogger, day in the life, two minutes, and she's going to change clothes five times, and as she changes clothes, people can click on the jacket or the jeans and buy it with your shoppable video player. And then they can actually sell jeans from the ad as opposed to nobody clicking on it and nobody buying it. And he goes, yeah. okay, but, no, but you know, you're not talking about how the timestamp works. Or, I don't know, nobody cares, right? So once we had that pitch down, Connie Ness said, okay, John, we'll take it to market, but you go with the sales rep from style.com and you take the founder with you and see if somebody would want this. So we went to AG Jeans, which is an upscale denim brand. And they said, oh, this is exactly the kind of return on investment we're looking for. We'll test it out and see how it goes. So we did the shoot. Um, they spent $50,000 on the ad campaign and sold $30,000 worth of jeans in three days. So they were happy. And the startup got proof of concept. And I realized that I could start my own business helping people who don't know how to tell stories or pitch their business to get clients, do a whole thing. So that's how I started uh, out in helping people with their pitch. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm a big fan of story selling myself. Uh, one of the things I coach my clients to do when they're launching product, services, and programs is to work on their story. Because what we discover is that people will tend to invest more in you based on how they perceive you as an expert than necessarily in the bullet points of your sales copy. They want to know the passion. They want to know the impetus for what brings you here and why you serve the world. And that's part of what we're looking to explore a little bit more today. Uh, John, I'm going to uh, play devil's advocate here, and uh, I'm so glad for this first question we're going to ask because I've, I've said on other episodes of Business Creators Radio Show that I don't have an elevator pitch and I don't want one. If somebody <laughs> asks me what do I do, what I like mm -hmm. to do is turn the conversation back around and mm. get to know more about them, have them tell me about their, their successes, their challenges, and their opportunities. Because until I know how I can serve them, it doesn't matter what I do. What matters is that I understand where they're coming from, where they perceive the gap between their current position and the results they desire, and how I can help them achieve that. That's just me. Others say, 
got to have an elevator pitch. Don't even answer your phone unless you have an elevator pitch. Don't go to a seminar <laughs> unless you have an elevator pitch. So it's a debate. It's a debate I love. Now, you say that everybody needs a great elevator pitch, and few have it. So tell us, yes. since if I'm correct, you're kind of on the yes side of the elevator pitch debate, what makes a great one? Well, there's two questions there. What makes a great elevator pitch, and, a, do, and B, do we need one? So let's take the second one first, which is do we need one? And I agree with you. You know, if someone you're interacting with, um, you don't want to just talk about yourself all the time. You want to ask them questions like, you know, what do you do? How can I help you? And get to know um, what they're about first. But let's assume, because nine times out of ten this will happen, uh, that they tell you all that, you know, I do this and I'm looking for that and here's where I'm stuck. And they've talked for five, ten minutes about who they are and what they do, and then they say, what do you do? You can't just keep asking them questions. It has to be a two-sided conversation. And then even if they don't need what you're offering, perhaps they know someone who could refer you to, so therefore the need for a great elevator pitch. That's my pitch on that. I don't know if you want to um, push back on that, agree with it, disagree with it, but we can take a minute and talk about that. Not not at all. I'm I, I'm a believer that uh, I'm a believer that there is a debate there, and I also have said for years that when you present yourself to the marketplace, you need to do so in a way that's authentic to you. Uh, just to tell you a mm-hmm. little quick story, and I promise that uh, you're going to be doing a lot more of the talking here in a few minutes. But I just want to get one more <laughs> thing out. Um, and I've said this on episodes of the Business Creators Radio Show before, and our listeners have heard me say that. I've been told over the years what I need to do is start doing videos where I hold my smartphone up to my face and walk down the street as I talk into it. And I have said that I have hired a contract on my own life. If anybody (laughs) ever catches me doing that, I will invite them to put a bullet between my eyes because I am not going to do that. Uh, I have been cursed with a face for radio, but on the other (laughs) hand, I have a voice for radio. So yes. I use my voice. When I do videos, I do Camtasia narrations. Um, I have a yes. podcast. Uh, I, I do a lot of podcast interviews uh, here and on other people's shows as well. I, I do technical training where I narrate things step by step. Uh, there, I mean, I've walked into places and people have uh, said, hey, I love your show because they thought they heard mm. me on the radio. It's my guest. <laughs> so uh, that's what I have to say about the pitch versus no pitch thing, the video versus no video thing, is you've got to do what's authentic to you. You can't pursue every single strategy. So you find the ones where you can just totally rock it out of the park and double down and get the job done. But, John, let's roll back a little bit. Why do they call you the pitch whisperer? You told me a little bit about your story, but tell me specifically or tell me again why we're calling you the Pitch Whisperer. Sure. Um, Inc. Magazine actually was the first one to call me that because I was being interviewed by them, and I was describing what I do, and they said, oh, my God, you're the Pitch Whisperer. And I said, oh, I like that. So now um, when someone asks me at a cocktail party or, you know, the inevitable maybe elevator ride um, or an event or whatever it is, I'm like, oh, what do you do? Like I'm the pitch whisperer. I help people go from invisible to irresistible, and the whole goal of that is just to get people to say, "Well, that's interesting. Tell me more." I don't go into what I do or how I do it or any of that stuff. Just that little bit to intrigue people enough to say, "That's interesting. Tell me more." So they'll say, "Well, what's a pitch whisperer?" And I said, "Well, much like a horse whisperer, I calm people down and help them with their confidence when they get nervous in front of an audience." 
or pitching to get new business or pitching to get hired or whatever it is they're pitching for. Um, and I was like, oh, well, how do you get people to go from invisible to irresistible where they could get their startup funded? I said, well, it's a, it's a multi-rung ladder, much like dating is. And would you like to hear about that? And like, yes. yes. All right. Well, <laughs> if you go from invisible to insignificant to interesting to intriguing, and then you get up to irresistible, and that's when you get multiple offers for a job or funding or clients are clamoring to want you to take their business. Yep, just like the title of your book, The Successful Pitch, conversations yes. on going from invisible to investable. So yes. uh, so tell us a little bit more about helping people become more confident, some of the tips you give them. Uh, you know, when you, you find somebody who has maybe stage fright or they're going into mm-hmm. a negotiation, they're not doing so with confidence. Right. Well, certainly, you know, you had asked me an earlier question that I haven't answered quite yet, so I'll answer what makes a great pitch. And one of the elements of what makes a great pitch is pitching with confidence and not arrogance. So okay. when you give somebody a pitch on who you are and what problem you solve, that's my definition of what a good pitch does. Who you help and what problem you solve. I help people struggling with their pitch to become irresistible so they get new clients and their business takes off. Oh, got it. Okay, interesting. Um, part of building your confidence, there's three secrets I have. The first one is just prepare. And that you would be surprised how few people want. I'm just going to wing it, John. I'm like, really? What's that going to sound like? Whether you're getting in front of a potential client you're just, and you don't even practice what your opening line is going to be, you stumble and you say, um, and on, or you say something really cliche that everybody says, like, thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm really excited to be here. Snore fest. Yeah, seriously. But, and everybody says that exact same thing. 90% of the people I work with, that's what they plan to say. And I'm like, nobody oh, cares that you're excited. Crazy. Um, so, yeah, what are you bored? Uh, are you annoyed? I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, they don't, they just don't know what else to say. So, uh, and I said, people tune out. You really only have 90 seconds to grab people's attention. Even if they say they gave you 10 minutes or an hour, even if you don't grab, if you start off with that boring cliche stuff, they're tuned out already. They're checking their voicemail or Facebook. Um, so the first step, you know, Arthur S said the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. So if athletes practice and actors rehearse, these meetings for getting funded or getting a new client or even an interview, that's your Super Bowl of meetings. That's your Olympic moment. So what makes you think you don't have to practice and rehearse just like an athlete does? So then I get, people go, okay, you're right, I need to practice. You're not going to sound robotic, I promise, but you're going to have a really strong opening and a really strong close. That's going to make your confidence go up. Then the yeah. next thing is the people are like, you know what, I get really nervous. I'm like, yeah, you get the butterflies in your stomach? Yes. Guess what? The goal is not to get rid of those butterflies in your stomach, but to get them to fly in formation. And the best Ooh. way to do that, Adam, is to stop thinking about what, whether the audience likes you or not or what they're thinking about you because that's what the adrenaline is. It's your fight or flight response kicking in. So you get the nervous energy out of your stomach and into your arms by making a gesture or moving and start remembering that you're there to serve and inspire and entertain and inform whoever you're talking to and stop worrying about whether they like you or not. And those butterflies will work for you instead of against you. Yeah. Then the third tip is something I call stacking your moments of certainty. And that simply means you write down four or five times in your life when you knew you nailed it, right? 
You asked somebody out on a date, you got a second date. You interviewed for a job, you got the offer. You um, pitched a client, they hired you. You remember those things as opposed to what can happen is the negative self-talk can kick in. Oh, my God, I really need this sale. I really need this job. I'm not good enough. And if you have all that going on in your head, your confidence diminishes. But if you stack your moments of certainty while practicing and getting those butterflies to fly information, I promise you your confidence is going to soar. Yes. You know, this uh, this reminds me of something. Uh, when I was first starting to speak from stage about five years ago, uh, it was like the second or third time I got on stage, and I blanked. I got up there, everybody applauded, and I didn't know what the heck to say. So I did nothing. I just stood there silently, looked at the mm-hmm. audience. They looked at me. Mm-hmm. And after a few seconds, I started speaking very slowly because I remembered my initial thought, you know, thought-provoking question. And I started speaking it very slowly. And as I'm speaking, I'm watching the people because it, it was, the room was set up uh, sort of like the classroom style where people were behind tables. And I said, sure. saw them leaning forward on their desks as they drew themselves and leaned into me. And mm-hmm. I knew I'd nailed something. Mm-hmm. See, here in 2017, uh, we have this, you know, instant information, instant gratification, uh, to the point where many even recommend that if you're doing uh, YouTube videos, cut out those long intros because you could lose somebody during the three seconds it takes to do your intro music. But before we had cameras on speeches, uh, it was a very common tactic for the speaker to stand on stage and be silent and wait for the mm-hmm. energy of the room to shift and then begin speaking. It was a different time. It worked well then. Why couldn't it work well now? So sometimes I will do that. I will get up on stage, of, especially if I get a really rousy introduction, like my introducer does a real good job and I have people mm-hmm. cheering really loudly. I'll let it die down and I'll just stand there silently for a few seconds and sort of let the energy in the room stir up a little bit. And I find mm. that that can be very effective. Um, and then I'll deliberately start speaking very softly, very slowly, and people lean in and they tune in and they start latching on to all the words that I say. There are other times I just leap up on stage and I come out with a very strong, powerful question, and I get people laughing and cheering at the very beginning. It just depends on the room, depends how I feel. Right. Well, our brain craves something new, right? And so if you're going to do something unexpected, that's when people pay attention. Oh, what's this? He's speaking softly? He's not saying something yeah. right away? What's happening? And so if people are, everyone else is shouting and you whisper or vice versa, that's when you get people's attention. Yes. Yeah, so what I'd like to do now is, boy, we're really zipping along here. I, I hope we have enough time <laughs> to do this whole thing. We're having so much fun with this interview. Uh, sitting on a cell phone in a cigar shop, I tell you, if I, if I want to do, when, I, when, they, when they make a movie about me one of these days, uh, you know, nine, nine, 99% of the movie, it's, uh, it's Armin Morin's old joke about if they ever made a story about an Internet marketer, um, it would be a story of a guy getting to his desk, or a woman getting to her desk at um, at uh, about 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, she has her keys on the keyboard, and she's sitting upright in her chair. And then, (laughs) you know, it does freeze frames throughout the day as she sinks lower and lower into her chair. That would be be a movie about an Internet marketer, basically. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's a good visual. 
Yeah, so it's uh, sometimes, unfortunately, it's a little bit more accurate than I'd like to admit. Um, so yeah. let's uh, shift to story selling, uh, one of the things that really caused me to latch on and, and be so excited mm-hmm. to have you here. Uh, what makes a good story when you do your pitch? Well, a good story is clear, concise, and compelling, and it has structure to it. So a four elements to a, uh, a good story. Let me give you a story. You can decide whether it's good or not, and then I'll tell you what the structure is behind it so hopefully everyone listening can start to craft their own story. One of my clients, yes. Martin, was working on stacking his moments of certainty to get his confidence up, and he said, you know, one of the things that came up for me was I really remember that um, the time when I was thinking about my life um, when I was 18, I had grown up in the Netherlands, but I'm originally from South America. And when I turned 18, my parents took me back to South America and dropped me off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks because in my culture, that's the rite of passage into manhood. I said, wow, Martin, that story gives me goosebumps. That's what we're going to use for your opening pitch. So I said, let's work on that. So what did, lessons did you learn in the Amazon jungle? He said, well, I learned how to focus and pivot and persevere. I said, great. And you're going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when he had that pitch practiced, he won a pitch contest and got his startup funded because the investors said to themselves, we're going to put our money on that guy that survived the Amazon jungle because he'll figure out how to go through any problems that come up in his business. Wow. Mic drop. That is, that's actually <laughs> a pretty good story. And, you know, Thank when you. I do stories – when I do storytelling or storytelling, what I like uh, is to find something that people can relate to, something that uh, – and when I can find it, I can't always find it, but I know I'm hitting the bullseye when mm-hmm. I'm able to tell a story that a lot of people say privately among themselves and their close friends or at the dinner table, but they don't normally say in public. So I well, say it in public, and uh-huh. now they rally around me because I speak for them. Yes. Well, let's break down what makes that a good story. There's four elements. The first one is exposition, who, what, where, when. When Martin was practicing that story, some, you know, he's 18 years old, he's in the Amazon jungle. Sometimes he would forget to say it's the rite of passage in his culture into manhood. I said, if you don't say that, it sounds like child abuse, right? So you need to paint a picture. Tell us where we are. Then the next thing is, what's the problem, right? Well, in this case, I'm there two weeks with no clothes and no money or anything, right? Okay, and what's the solution? Well, I figure out how to survive, and I get these life lessons. Ah, okay. And the resolution is I live to tell that story, and that's what got me my startup funded. Okay, see? So those are the elements of what makes a good story. Yeah, and like many things, there's a formula behind it. So so if you if you get started, could you say those three C's and that fourth thing again, just for anybody who missed it the first time and didn't get a chance to get it in their notes? Sure. Exposition: Who, what, where, when. Paint a picture. Tell yep. us where we are, what year it is, how old you are. Is it raining? Is it sunny? Is it cold? Is it hot? Um, then describe what the problem is in the story, because every story needs some kind of challenge or problem or obstacle to overcome. Then figure out what your solution is to that problem. How did you overcome that problem? And then the resolution. Okay, now that that problem's been solved, life is better, there's a life lesson, what happened after that problem was solved? So those are the four elements of a good story. Oh, that's great. Now, uh, let's uh, transition a little bit. Let's talk about story genres. 
Uh, yes. Can you give us, first of all, can you tell us why we need to pay attention to that? And then give us some examples of some of the different story genres and how brands use them. This, this is going to be fun. Sure. Well, you know, people say, I'm having trouble figuring out what my story is, right? I didn't survive the Amazon jungle. But I said, well, there's four different genres of stories that you can choose from. So I'm going to give you a story genre, a movie that uses that genre, and then a brand that uses that so that you can figure out which is the one you want to use. So the first one is Rags to Riches. Of course, that movie is Cinderella. And that's the Johnny Walker Scotch uses that. There was this poor farmer, Scottish farmer, and now he's Johnny Walker, right? So if you have a story of origin that you're talking about how you started your company, and you can say, look, I started this with no money in my kitchen table, and that's how Playboy, Hugh Hefner started, whatever the story is, that's racks to riches, right? Then the next genre is Rebirth. Um, And my favorite movie that does does that is um, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Yeah, You have a second chance. So Prudential says retirement is is your rebirth. It's your third act in life. And, it's, and so they're using that story genre, right? Um, then another genre is a quest. Well, um, that is Lord of the Rings, right? They're going on a journey, trying to find something. There's a bigger purpose. And Lexus uses this genre for their tagline, which is the pursuit of perfection. Right? We're never quite there, but we're always on this journey. And then the final genre is leave home and then come back and tell about it. Well, that's classic Wizard of Oz, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. And guess who does that? Expedia. Go on a trip, yes. book it on Expedia, have a great adventure, and then come back and tell all your friends. Yeah, uh, you're all taking some notes here, and our listeners know that not only am I the host of Business Creators Radio Show, but we have people like John Livesey on. I'm also a student in the audience with them with my notepad out looking for the edge in my business. And mm-hmm. uh, those are all great genres, of course, and you see those all the time. Uh, two of them jumped out at me, rags to riches mm-hmm. and rebirth. So okay. what we see happening a lot, especially when we have presenters in the online marketing, info marketing, and uh, motivational speaking space jump up on stage, are two of the themes that we often see combined are rags to riches and rebirth. Because they come from nothing and uh, and build themselves up and become very successful, and in the process they find themselves becoming another person. I would also argue there's the genre of riches to rags to even more riches. You hear that one a lot too. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, there's always more. So that's that's the you know Oprah's another example of a rags to riches personal story, isn't it? Right. Yes grew up poor, now she's one of the wealthiest women in the world, right? So you can start to see what that that, um, genre really does for people. It makes you memorable, um, inspires other people to think maybe I could have that experience. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And and what I also find is it builds common cause, like, hey, you you think you're struggling, you should see what I went through. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, uh, you're having a hard time paying the rent, and your credit cards are just about maxed out, and you're starting to, uh, and you're starting to go through drive throughs at fast food restaurants because you're rationing your meals and you're worried about your electric bill. Well, I was living in a cardboard box in a van underneath the river. So <laughs> <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> I mean, you hear that so often. Right. 
So well, it's, uh, it's all about how, how passionate, and how bad do you want it, right? And and not yeah. giving up and showing resilience. That's what people want to hear. Is don't, you can't just say I'm resilient. You need to tell a story and show at a time when you were resilient. Yes. Yes, and that's something that, uh, as I said, people you know truly admire the resilience and uh, and also that uh, ability to go through hard times, uh, which goes back to resilience and showing that uh, just as you as the listener have struggled and overcome, the person you're listening to has struggled more and overcome even more big league than you have. Mm-hmm. So how? Well, my, my little problems? What the heck with that? If, uh, if uh, this average Joe can go through all that and they're the one up on stage speaking to me, what can I do? It's inspirational. Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so uh, one thing that uh, a lot of our listeners love, and we have a track on this in Business Creators Radio Show. We've had several great guests on who have uh, spoken about uh, getting funding in the era mm-hmm. when uh, entrepreneurs wanting loans to grow their businesses is considered uh, a form of, of demonic evil, it feels like. So... Um, we are out there and we're looking for sources of funding, whether we want angel investors, whether we want stock, you know, stockholders, whether we're doing a GoFundMe, uh, whatever it is, they were looking to get funded or we're meeting somebody who um, is a private lender who could lend, you know, do a private loan to us. Many different mm-hmm. ways to get funding for your business. So uh, to persuade an individual or a private citizen to part with their money, you gotta be a good pitch whisperer. So, <laughs> how do we craft a pitch? And I'm gonna, for the sake of argument, move myself to the yes, you should have a pitch column just for now. Give okay. us an example and or a formula, or whatever you have, on how to craft a pitch that gets you funded. Well, the biggest mistake I see people making is spending the majority of their time showing people how their product works. Let's say it's an app. And you're not trying to get a customer when you're pitching for funding. The investors um, want to know why you and why now? Why are you uniquely qualified to execute this idea? How big is the market? What's your barrier to entry from competition coming in and putting you out of business? And what's your exit strategy? How am I going to get my money back? They're all looking for a three to five return on their investment in three to five years. In other words, if they give you a million bucks, they'd like to get three to five million out in three to five years. And usually the way that happens is when you get bought by another company. Yes. So there's a lot of things to talk about in a pitch that the investor cares about. It's completely different than what a customer would care about. Yeah, that's very that's very interesting. A lot of business talk about their ultimate saleability. So being able to tell that story of how you're going to move from startup or move from that first million to the three million or the five million or put yourself in a position to become acquirable, you've got to get basically this uh, potential investor to believe in you. Yes, they really want to know again what makes you and your team uniquely qualified to execute this idea. And the second thing that they're really looking for is why now? So let's take a look at Uber. Uber would never have worked if the majority of us didn't have smartphones. 
Airbnb would not have worked had the economy not been in trouble back in 2008. People wouldn't have been willing to rent out their apartment, room, or the entire house to a stranger. So you're asking people to radically change their behavior. The why now is a big factor in why something's going to work or not, and then why you're the right people to execute the idea. So those are the two key things that people are looking for. And you have to really explain the problem people are having. So if you know, you were pitching Uber back in the day, you would paint a picture again, right? Uh, have you ever stood in the rain in New York City and tried to get a cab? Have you ever went to Las Vegas in a convention and waited in that 100-degree heat for oh, 45 yeah. minutes just to get a cab from the airport? In there. Yeah. Well, imagine you didn't have to do that anymore and that there was a, uh, an app on your phone that could not even have you need cash or credit card that would allow you to get a cab without having to wait in line or get a cab in the rain. Well, you don't have to imagine it because we've created it, and it's called Uber, and it allows you know people to get a car for less money than a cab without all the waiting. Boom. That would be a compelling opening to a pitch. Oh, let's let's have some fun with this. Uh, let's say that you're pitching Uber to me, I and uh, I potentially have a lot of money to dump into this Uber idea. Oh, oh, we right. can have some fun with this. You want, you want to play? Want to play a little bit? We'll do, we'll do a little of bit course. of role play here. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I, I listen to this and I say, yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I I live in Las Vegas, so I'm familiar with those 118 degree summers. Uh, you know, heck, yeah. they were talking about Tony Robbins and and people getting their feet burned because they were walking over the hot <laughs> coals. Um, I uh-huh. can tell you right now fact that the sidewalks in Las Vegas on a hot summer day are as hot as, if not hotter than, those colds at the Tony Robbins events. Because at uh, Tony Robbins, I believe the number is something like 140 degrees. It's not unusual right. for a sidewalk in the Las Vegas summer sun to be 150 degrees, yet I have never mm. had my feet burned. You know why? Because I can walk fast. When you're walking <laughs> on a hot surface, you keep moving briskly. You don't stop and take selfies. So I can relate to the uh, hot, hot Las Vegas sun. Now, um, it's great that we have this app. We can download to our smartphones. We can say, I'm here. Come pick me up. Take me for a ride to the airport or, or to the uh, Carl's Jr. or the Whole Foods or wherever I need to go. Um, right. But the next question, or, or in my case, where I'm sitting right now, is, um, hey, uh, you know, could you, uh, you know, give me a ride uh, back home because I dropped my car off to get uh, – to get the maintenance done, and uh, I don't really want to sit in the cigar shop today because i got a podcast interview to do. Uh, no, me, I say, screw it, let's do it. Let's do a podcast interview from the cigar shop. But others might say, hey, i got to get home, and uh, they have my car, and I don't want to do Enterprise Rent-A-Car for a one-hour interview. Uh, so, <laughs> so now you're starting to get a market for people, but here's the next question is, you mean to tell me that people are going to – want to just drive around in their cars and pick people up and take them places? Why would somebody want to do that? Well, you know, you're, you first are tapping into the pain point of the customer who doesn't want to wait in line for the, the uh, cab. And then there's another customer, which would be a driver, that wants to make some money that their car is just sitting in the garage 90% of the time, not making them any money, and they've got spare time and they don't want to have to go find a job, and they want to work for themselves, yet they don't want to have to pay for a cab. That's who we're targeting. Oh, so you mean, you mean to tell me that uh, there's some, there are people out there who would be happy to just uh, you know, be like a private taxi, basically, uh, 
Now, I could, now, I'm, now John, I could see a story emerging here because, again, going back to the economy, when we talked about Airbnb and uh, the yes. reason, you know, the economy and people wanting mm-hmm. to turn their homes into profit centers to pay the bills, well, how about yep. that person who's unemployed? Uh, they just become exactly. an Uber driver, and uh, right. they can drive. And, you know, what's also really cool about Uber, because I know people who are Uber drivers, is they don't have to do, like, 9 to 5. I mean, they could say, hey, you exactly. know what, it's about, it's about 4.30 right now. i got three hours to kill. Let me just make myself right. available, see if I can pick up a fare while I'm waiting. Yep, students, retired people, housewives, whatever, all kinds of people that – want to work when they have the time to work um, and pick up a few extra bucks when they have wow. a car that's sitting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, yeah. What you mean, so what you mean to tell me, it's like we're, it's like we're crowdsourcing the transportation industry. <laughs> yes, everything's being disrupted, and this is how technology is disrupting the cab industry, which hasn't changed in 70 years. Oh, you don't have to tell me about that. See, you know, people listening, uh, you see how – the way John tells the story and the way we just, you know, bounce back and forth is how we just keep coming up with other inspirations like, oh, yeah, you don't have to tell me having to wait for that cab. And and, it seems like they're just taking their sweet old time getting out of that first stop sign at the hotel. Meanwhile, I've already paid $7 for them to sit there when there's five different times they could have just turned out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you – yeah, and, and so the soup is the Uber. I mean, is there going to be a uh, a clock running on that, or is it a flat rate? What, what's your vision for that? Well, it would be a flat rate that we would give people based on traffic. That uh, the technology would allow us to estimate exactly how long it would take to get from point A to B. That people would enter in before the driver would ever show up. So wow. that eliminates that problem. Mm-hmm. So we already so we already have a good idea of how much it's going to cost for the ride. So there are no surprises like the naive uh, or uh, unfamiliar traveler in a strange city who doesn't know that their destination is actually three blocks away, right. but the person takes them on a, but the taxi driver takes them on a 90-minute cruise on the interstate uh, just to run up the fare, which you hear stories like that. Oh, yeah. So there's lots of problems we're solving, and there's technology that can do that and a platform to do that. and We've proven it in one city, and now we need more money to scale it not just in other cities in the U.S., but globally. Wow. So you can see what's happening here, guys. You see how easy this is? You know, we just kind of go back and forth. We talk about the Uber concept, and we see how uh, not only is John using story selling, but he's provoking me to tell stories that draw me into the conversation and make me interested in investing. Now, if you need $5 million for this, I'm already at a higher level of confidence then I first started out just a few minutes ago that I could get a $10 million return on investment when I pull out or my or I amortize in three to five years. But uh, if John told me, oh, well, look at this app, and uh, you, know, you see you just install it on your phone. It takes, on average, 23 seconds for it to download, and you just click here, and you enter your credit card information. It remembers it, and uh, you, know, you can use a little keyboard to punch in the address, and uh, it actually has a little tracker that shows how close they are to you. Snooze-O-Rama City. Because <laughs> that doesn't tell me anything emotional. It's like, oh, I can see the little right. car coming towards me. Well, hey, if, I, you know, if I'm hiring a cab, uh, they'll also tell me how long it's going to take for the cab to get there. And if they say 10 minutes, and it's 14 minutes and there's no cab, I'm going to call them and say, where's the cab? I don't need that for that. Yeah, the more you can show an investor that you have empathy and understand the customer's problem, the better they think you have the solution and the more willing they are to invest in you. 
Yeah, we could do the same thing with Airbnb. Let's play with that a little bit. I mean, we already covered mm-hmm. tough economic times. Uh, people yep. uh, are looking to turn their homes into profit centers. Another argument could be, hey, I have a, a rental property that I'm having a heck of a time uh, getting a tenant for. So rather than me have uh, this investment property sit vacant for six months, why don't I start turning over the rooms and making $100 a night or whatever uh, a person makes for doing their Airbnb while uh, I have it on the market I'm trying to find a long-term tenant? Exactly. And, you know, so then you're saying, imagine that there's people out there who don't want to get a roommate yet need help paying their rent or mortgage. And Ooh. This would be a solution that they could decide when someone stays in their apartment, when they're out of town themselves, or they only want somebody for a week and then they need their space for a week because they've got visitors coming to use that spare bedroom. So that – now, the other thing is um, imagine that people want to experience local culture when they go visit a new city for the first time and would love to have someone who lives there – give them ideas of what to see and what to do as opposed to going to an impersonal hotel. So if they could, you know, experience life as a native, if you will, without all the hassle, it's a win for everybody. Yeah. Now, if I'm traveling to a new city, do I really want to spend the time in somebody's spare bedroom? Why wouldn't I want to just go to a hotel? Well, we're not saying you spend the time in the bedroom, but you've got to sleep sometime. And you know, if you're going to quote check in, then you you know ideally might have a place where it's more centrally located than a, an expensive hotel would be. So you'd be saving money, but still have a great location. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's another way, great way to look at it. Now you can get me talking about hotels. Hey, you know what? I go to these seminars, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's we're talking ten hours, pitch fest, Obama. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm getting up at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm rushing to the uh, to the overpriced breakfast to get the twenty-two dollars stale bagel and the symbol of orange juice before I have to rush in and be there exactly on time for that very first pitch. I'm going to be there mm-hmm. for four hours, and then I'm going to be standing in line for lunch. I'm going to be late for and late back from. Uh, then there's five hours in the afternoon. It's going to turn into six because everything's going to go off schedule. Then I'm going to wolf down dinner, and then there's the evening reception. And then we're going to be hanging out with the people at the bar until 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to leave my room at 7 in the morning, and I'm not going to get back until 2.30 a.m., where all I'm going to I'm going to have time for is like five hours of crash. I'm going to be in this, renting this hotel room paying $260 a day that I'm not even going to see. And most of the time I'm in there, all I'm going to be seeing are the backs of my eyelids. Why am mm-hmm. I going to pay $260 a night for this? Right. Now, this is... Explaining, you know, that you understand the customer well enough and that you could see people changing their behavior enough that this is going to scale, again, globally, so that the investor could see that their investment would give them a great return because this is something that's disruptive and has a huge market and you're uniquely qualified to execute this idea. And why now is handled, and then you have, would have to go into selling yourself as to why, whether you have a hotel experience or technology experience or marketing experience to make this, um, that you would get market share before any competitors would come in. And, and you would also have the savvy uh, and backup and have thought through any potential 
legal issues, whether you're Uber or Airbnb dealing with the hotel industry or the taxi industry. So you have to really think through your pitch and have answers ready um, so that people show that you're not a deer in headlights when you get asked a question. Right. Now, you know, you and I are just uh, mucking up a quick conversation here, and you're inspiring me with some of my thoughts about why I might be attracted as a potential customer of Airbnb to show mm-hmm. me that there's a market of people who would pay for this. But if I wasn't so inspired, you could have in your toolbox all these stories. You could tell about your friends who go to these seminars, and they're, you know, they're at the event 20 hours a day for four days straight, and they're expected to pay $260 for a hotel room, give me a break. <laughs> so that so yes. that could be a great answer. That could be a great story selling answer to the question of, wait a minute, where you, where do you think you're going to find customers for this? Exactly right. The proof of concept. One of the investors I interviewed on the Successful Pitch podcast said to me, "If you're selling dog food, I want to see the dog eating the food." Yeah, Which I just love that analogy. Right? You don't just think this could be a really cool idea and expect someone to give you a million dollars. You need to go out and do a little bit of research and some homework, even if you just get a letter of intent from someone that they would use it, Uh, whether it's a school, if you're selling an app that keeps the school safe during emergencies, whatever it is, um, some kind of proof of concept is really important now. It's not enough just to have a good idea. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great way of looking at the proof of concept. I mean, so you have to show that you know people really would hire an Uber or a Lyft or whatever it is that uh, mm-hmm. you know because yeah because that that market has uh, not has been so well proven that all kinds of competition has emerged and there are many companies out there that uh, do substantially the same thing. So that's great that right. somebody had to believe in the somebody had to believe in the market originator for it to happen. Correct which means somebody told a better story than somebody else because um, the idea of people hiring out their cars, I thought that up when I was a kid and we didn't even have smartphones. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 that's nothing. And, and, here, and here's a point that I think we, we can make or we could explore is that uh, that brilliant idea you have that you wrote down on the cocktail napkin, hundred other people have had that same idea. But how many yeah. people have a story to tell? Well, and that's what so many people are afraid of someone stealing their idea. One of the mistakes you can make is asking an investor to sign a non-disclosure agreement. You've got to know faster than you can say anything. It just shows you're a novice because investors hear about 2,500 pitches in a year and fund 25 of them. And 24 of those 25 come from a warm introduction. So the investors are not interested in stealing your idea. And it's really not even who has the best idea. It's who has the great idea with the great market and can execute on that idea because they have a great team. They're really investing in the team more than the idea. Okay, that's profound right there. Um, Mm -hmm. Because what I heard you say, and I'm going to repeat this Mm -hmm. for our listeners, is that if you're pitching somebody, you're planning to pitch someone, and you want a signature on an NDA or a non-disclosure agreement before you even get started with the conversation, that basically makes you look like a piker and means you've done something wrong. Correct. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. That's don't awesome. ask for an NDA. Don't say you don't have any competition because that means you don't have a market. And don't right. say something like, if we only get 1% of all the people in China to buy this, we'll be rich. Those are the three common mistakes I see people making. Oh, yeah. Wow. That kind of stands a, a concept on its head because how many times have uh, I been asked to sign an NDA, even for somebody wanting to pitch me on 
becoming my client, uh, for instance. It's, it's, it's crazy how many times I've been asked about this. And uh, and usually when I hear NDA, I hear paranoia. Yes, and lack of experience. Um, and Definitely lack of experience, you know, and, and probably lack drama. of a good probably lack yeah. of a good story to back it up uh, based on what we've been <laughs> talking about. Um, yeah, because mm-hmm. if some, yeah, because if somebody has an idea and they're and they're pitching it to me, I mean, I gotta think that they're pitching it to other people too. So why should I sign? Why should I sign an NDA and have to be exclusive when they're not? So why don't I make them sign a paper that says <laughs> they will consider no other investors but me? Correct. Yeah, it's, and it's and which means which means I can make them which means I, which means I can make them a really crappy one sided offer that uh, that stacks the deck for me, and they have to and they have to accept it because uh, they had to agree to accept my offer before they pitched me. So why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So we touched on we touched on something a little bit earlier uh, when mm-hmm. we were talking about uh, you know we did the hypothetical pitch for Uber and. You know, if you told the whole story, and you never even really got around to describing how the app worked. This goes along to uh, one of the final things we want to cover here today. Uh, as we're about 50 minutes into this thing, boy, time is flying. Why do people remember our stories and not numbers? Well, Adam, we're wired that way. You know, back in the caveman days, we sat around the glow of uh, our campfires, and we told stories. And now we sit around the glow of PowerPoint presentations. It literally is a right brain versus left brain type of thing. In other words, when you tell someone numbers or let me give you all the reasons why you should do this, that's an analytical left brain decision and people cross their arms and, you know, oh my God, you're trying to sell me something and I'm trying to find out, you know, your price is too high. I'm going to find all the reasons why this doesn't work. But if I say to you, let me tell you a story. Oh, now we're in the right brain where imagination and storytelling lives. Maybe this will be interesting or even entertaining, and you're taken on a journey. And that's why people are going to remember the story more than the numbers. What jumps to my mind is, John, you've been in marketing. You understand the debate between long sales copy versus short sales copy. And Mm -hmm. I love – this debate continues to go back and forth, and I will – sometimes jump into discussion threads about this because they're still talking about it. And there are folks out there who will say, you know, when I have time to read that long sales copy, just tell me what it does and how much. Mm-hmm. So why is everybody still doing long sales copy? Well, if it's compelling and pulls you in, you know, Harry Potter, it's a lot of copy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to me, it's because when you have the longer copy, typically – you're telling a story. You can't tell a story and how does it work and how much does it cost. Right. And, uh, you know, we've, you know, you people on tests on it. They do studies on it. And uh, in the vast majority of cases, the long copy wins, which also goes back to another principle where people will – there's a difference, shall we say, between what people say they want versus what they respond to. So they say, yeah, just tell me how just tell me how it works and how much it costs. Mm-hmm. But is that going to get them to buy? No. That's then you've become a commodity and you don't have a brand and you know, people can buy everything, you know, on Amazon then based on the lowest price. So you you know, if somebody starts talking about price and doesn't want to hear the story or what problem you're solving 
that's not a good customer. Uh, that's not who you want to be at because you get into that business, your margins are low, and it's a it's a lose for your overall. You know, don't try to be everything to everybody. Know your niche and solve a problem, and you'll get a good customer. Yeah. Uh, one other question I want to throw in here is, um, have you ever run into this with maybe with your clients or maybe some of the work you've done uh, with some of the brands that you've served uh, where people are maybe fearful of telling a story because it might offend somebody or it might alienate somebody? Uh, a real big concern with, uh, with a lot of the behaviors we see on social media these days and uh, how polarized people have become. Hmm. Well, uh, it depends what kind of story you're telling, right? I mean, if you're telling a, uh, one of those stories in the genres that we talked about, Rags to Riches, Rebirth, Quest, and, you know, leaving home and coming back and telling about it, there's no political element on it. There's nothing offensive in those storytelling genres. It's not like you're telling a racist joke or a political joke. I would never right. encourage anybody to, to do that. So stick to right. the genres that work and, you know, take people on that journey so that they want to have that same journey and become your customer. Yep, authenticity within those genres. Uh, you can certainly find a great story within those. And the other thing you have to remember is there's some people that just aren't going to like you. What are you going to do? Oh, yeah. No, you can't try to please everybody all the time. That goes back to why we get nervous when we're pitching, right? We're worried, you, you know, you can't sell everything to everybody and you can't be liked by everybody. So figure out who you help and what problem you solve and only focus on that is your niche. The riches are in the niches. Right, right, right. Uh, the riches are in the niches. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So this has been a really, really fun conversation. I'm so glad that we had the the opportunity to sit down here for for a little bit. Uh, we're almost near the top of the hour, just a few minutes to go. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, to turn it back to you, John, for a moment, and tell us a little bit about uh, how you serve our business creators? Because I imagine that just as we talked earlier about people leaning forward as they want to get into the words and get into mm -hmm. the story, that there may be somebody out there who's been listening to this and saying, yes, I'd like to embrace this power for myself as well. Well, if your listeners text the word pitch, P-I-T-C-H, to 66866, I will email them my free PDF on the three mistakes to avoid when you're pitching. And if you have a big pitch coming up, whether it's to get funded or to pitch to get a new client, um, you can reach out to me on my website, johnlivesay.com, and I can see if and how I might be able to help you go from invisible to irresistible. That's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, so all of our listeners know that if you go to businesscreatorsradioshow.com and you check out the guest expert section, that all of our guests have a profile where you can find their website, their social media profiles, and other information you need to get a hold. So as we wrap up here, um, as we get to the top of the hour, uh, John, what are some you know, final thoughts or final words you'd like to leave our listeners with as they, as they ponder the use of story selling and uh, becoming, in their own way, pitch whispers to mm -hmm. ask for what they want and get a yes? Well, Plato said storytellers rule the world, and I tell everybody, forget selling and tell stories instead and pull people into your message versus having to push your message out. Wow, that's really good. That's really good. Very profound. So, uh, yeah, so this has been fantastic. Uh, John Livesey, I want to thank you so much for your willingness 
to spend some time with us today. It's been an honor and an education. My pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.